We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. so much for tuning in to Weird Distractions Podcast. This is a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate discussing true crime cases, paranormal hotspots, eerie folklore tales, urban legends, and conspiracy theories provide you, and more than likely what your local wannabe space cowboy would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. This week is a true crime paranormal hybrid-based episode that some may recall from the OG Unsolved Mystery Show. But before diving into the case, I do have a bit of housekeeping to go over, and of course, I need to tell you what I need a distraction from this week. If you just want to get right into the episode, feel free to skip ahead about three to five minutes and jump on in. But if you want to hear the housekeeping and you want to hear what I need distraction from, then stay tuned. In terms of housekeeping, there is a new Weird Spam episode for the Here for the Weird patrons, and this month's episode features the hilarious John from Reddit on Wiki. Consider joining Patreon for only $5 USD a month to tune into this hilarious improv series. As well, being it's the last Sunday of the month, there is a new, even weirder series episode out now for both tiers. Go to www.patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast to tune in. I also want to mention that the show was recently featured on CBC Podcasts Listener Picks back on May 5th, courtesy of my dad. So a little bit of backstory. My dad loves CBC Podcasts. He listens to their podcast player. And I guess they have this feature where every so often they will ask their listeners, hey, like what other shows are you listening to that aren't on CBC? So my dad reached out and told them about Weird Distractions podcast. They replied back to him. They offered to interview him about why he likes the show, which he admitted is because it is his daughter's show. And not only did they feature this interview on the May 5th episode, but they actually featured a clip of the Geezer Bandit episode that I did back in April, I believe. So I just want to show it to my dad. I want to say thank you for doing that because never have I ever imagined getting an email from CBC asking to play a clip of the show. So if you're a CBC podcast listener, check it out. If you're tuning in from a different country and you don't know what CBC is, it is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. It is a pretty big thing in Canada. And yeah, it's pretty surreal. I will try to put a link in this week's show notes so that if you want to check it out, you can. In that link, there are also other podcasts that I would highly recommend checking out. Now, my need for distraction this week is I am just adjusting to my new job. I so far love it. So far, so good. Don't get me wrong. It's been a little overwhelming, but I'm enjoying it. And, you know, on top of the need for distraction, just of adjusting to a new job is I think just adjusting to my self-esteem changing. I find that I go through periods where my self-esteem is, I don't know, like a like a solid six out of ten. And lately it's just been dipping it and not really doing it. So yeah, I, I would say that's also a need for a distraction. And if you have a need for a distraction that you want me to read on a future episode, feel free to send me a DM or email me at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. Without further ado, though, let's get into this week's episode. As mentioned, this week's case has a little bit of true crime and a little bit of paranormal activity, which combined 
it's sure to be a weird distraction. So sit back and tune in with me as I tackle the case of Teresita Bassa and how she allegedly solved her own homicide from beyond the grave. Due to potential coarse language and adult themes that some may find disturbing, listener discretion is advised. For today's episode, we're obviously going to start with Teresita Bassa, who was born sometime in 1929 within Dumaguete, which is located within one of the islands in the Philippines. Not much is known about Teresita's early years other than she was reportedly born into a described wealthy family. Based on what I was able to find online, after graduating the Assumption College in Manila, Teresita moved to the United States sometime in the 1960s to study music. Most accounts claim that she was passionate about music and probably was intrigued to further advance her passion. Even though music was a huge part of her life, Teresita ended up changing fields once she was in the States. Accounts claim she completed a degree as a respiratory therapist and would work as such at Edgewater Hospital in Chicago, Illinois. But her love for music didn't leave, and by 1977, then 47-year-old Teresita was back in school reportedly studying for a doctorate in music at a university within Chicago. She was also apparently giving piano lessons within her one-bedroom apartment during this time, which I can only imagine being a really busy schedule for her to do. I mean, she's doing her doctorate, she's working as a respiratory therapist, and she's teaching piano. That's pretty impressive if you ask me. Those that knew Teresita have described her as being a kind and quiet woman who had no publicly known enemies. Teresita had had no criminal records or a history of shady doings that were publicly known. Ultimately, it sounds like she may have kind of kept to herself and led a very calm life. But things would take a devastating turn for her. And with that, let's jump to Monday, February 21st, 1977. On what more than likely appeared to be an average February Monday, Teresita reportedly worked a shift at the Edgewater Hospital. The shift was normal, the day was normal. Everything, as you may have guessed it, seemed normal. After work, she returned home to her apartment, and by 7.30 p.m., she apparently chatted with one of her good friends from the hospital, being a woman named Ruth. Ruth and Teresita reportedly were on the phone with one another for some time, with some resources claiming it was about 20 minutes to half an hour. I don't have the fine details of the conversation, but what has been stated is that Teresita supposedly wrapped up the call with Ruth indicating that she was having a guest over, specifically a male guest. Ruth didn't press on who this guy was, which I wonder if it was because Teresita maybe wasn't the type to divulge much of her private life with her professional one. I'm not saying that is the case, but that's just kind of more of a personal thought. Anyways, Teresita didn't provide Ruth any details, and the two friends got off the phone with one another. At approximately 8.40 p.m., neighbors of Teresita, a couple named Marid and Catherine Nazi, allegedly began to smell smoke. Unable to pinpoint where the smoke was coming from and growing concerned, the couple called the building's janitor. The janitor proceeded to call other tenants regarding the smoke before calling the Chicago Fire Department, who quickly arrived on scene to continue to evacuate all of the residents according to the Wickedness website. Once on the scene, firefighters were able to detect that the source of the smoke was coming from the 15th floor of the building. Specifically, it was coming from apartment 15B, 
which was occupied by Teresita Bassa. In a direct quote from the Wickedness website to elaborate on the disturbing scene that firefighters encountered once they entered apartment 15B, quote, Beneath a burned mattress, firefighters found Teresita Bassa's nude body with a butcher knife protruding from her chest. Due to her naked body and the position in which she was found, police initially believed there had been a sexual crime. However, after a physical examination, no evidence of sexual assault was found, and there was no physical evidence at the crime scene. Based on reports that came across online, Teresita's apartment appeared to be ransacked to the point where initially firefighters thought it was actually empty. From the Jim Harrell podcast, things within the apartment were apparently strewn about, dressers were emptied, and the cupboard doors seemed randomly opened. Given the scene, it should come to no surprise that foul play was suspected, with the fire being set to throw investigators off. Not only that, but due to the damage of the fire, there were no DNA or fingerprints found on site. The whole situation led to investigators and, well, the masses to ask, who would want to hurt Teresita? She kept to herself. She was reportedly well-liked and, as mentioned earlier, she had no known public enemies. In other words, it didn't seem like she was caught up in anything nefarious or anything that would lead to this situation happening. For assigned police detectives Joseph Stakula and Lee Eplin, they were tasked with the devastating death of Teresita with no leads. The only clue or hint of anything that survived the fire was a note that Teresita left for herself that read, Get theater tickets for A.S. Things seemingly went cold over the following five months. That is, until a couple came forward with quite the plot twist. Dr. Jose Chua, a surgical assistant at the Franklin Boulevard Community Hospital, indicated to detectives that his wife, Remy Bias Chua, who I'll be referring to henceforward as Remy, was having visions and contact with Teresita from beyond the grave about her murder. A bit of background on Remy. From what has been documented, Remy had actually once worked as an inhalation therapist at the Edgewater Hospital where Teresita had also worked. It seems like Remy and Teresita may have met one another at a hospital orientation two years prior to the incident, but they were not necessarily work friends and reportedly worked different shifts. From the writings of a Vulture article, Remy reportedly started having dreams after Teresita's death and began acting as if Teresita was speaking through her and presenting to her from beyond the grave. It all seemingly started in the summer of 1977, where Remy reportedly felt extremely tired on this day, but accounts claimed it was the kind of exhaustion she couldn't explain. As per a Medium article, Remy disclosed that it all started when she decided to take a nap in the nurse's lounge one day. She woke up from her sleep and found that Teresita was standing right before her in broad daylight when Remy clearly knew that Teresita was deceased. Remy, spooked by seeing her deceased colleague in broad daylight, left the room, which I feel like most of us would probably do the same. Two weeks later, Remy, who is at home and reportedly very exhausted again, had another encounter with Teresita. Except this time, it was different. Her husband, Jose, recalled that he noticed Remy get up from a living room chair in the couple's home and proceeded to slowly walk into their bedroom, 
almost in a trance-like state. Following behind, Jose followed into the bedroom because Remy was, you know, acting odd and he was a little concerned. Upon entering the bedroom, he noticed that Remy was laying on their bed, staring blankly. When he asked what was wrong, Remy began to reply in Tagalog, which is the national language of the Philippine Islands. Remy, like Teresa, did come from an island in the Philippines, so it is suggested that she did know how to speak this language. When Jose asked Remy what her name was in order to see if she was coherent, she replied in a voice not of her own and stated in Tagalog, quote, I am Teresita Bassa. The voice coming from Remy stated that Teresita had been murdered, and her killer was a man named Alan Showery, who worked with Teresita at the hospital. Pressing for more information, Jose asked this voice coming from his wife more details of the murder. In a direct quote from a Boston Globe article to elaborate further, quote, Jose began questioning the voice. The voice said Alan Showery arrived at the apartment that evening. Teresita let him in. Jose asked why she let him in. She told him Showery was her friend. The voice then indicated that while they were alone together, Showery stabbed her, end quote. Which is pretty interesting that Alan Showery's name came up after police found that previously mentioned note, which read, get those tickets for A.S. Alan Showery, A.S. Sounds pretty interesting to me. This wasn't the only occurrence of Remy receiving messages from Teresita either. During a separate situation, Teresita supposedly spoke through Remy again and begged Jose to help. Maybe feeling helpless in the situation, Jose told Remy, aka Teresita, that they would need evidence for police in order for authorities to believe them. The voice indicated that her murderer, Alan, took her jewelry to give to either his wife or his girlfriend, a key piece that police didn't reportedly know initially. The jewelry in mention was a pearl cocktail ring and a jade pendant, which, remember this for later. In total, Teresita spoke through Remy three times. By the third time, the couple knew they needed to share their experiences as it could help Teresita's case, despite the couple not knowing Teresita on a very personal level. Detectives felt that Jose and Remy were being sincere, even though the couple initially were reluctant to disclose their experiences. Now with this information, detectives were given a lead they didn't have before, being a suspect that knew the victim. Before we dive into who Alan was and what happened when police interview him, we're going to take a quick pause and hear from a fellow podcast called Technically a Conversation. Stay tuned and I'll be right back. Tired of the same old podcasts every week? When you're ready for something different, come give us a shot. Greetings. We're Technically a Conversation, a podcast for curious people by curious people. Every week, we take turns sharing a new topic, and the other host has no idea what the topic will be. Our topics are all over the place, from light and funny to dark and sometimes spooky. We've covered everything from true crime, historical events and people, pop culture icons, the supernatural and occult. I like that. And legends and folklore. My favorite. We're like the Dollar Tree stuff you should know. Except completely different. No matter what the topic is, we try to make the episodes funny. Yeah, you may not want to advertise that. Our jokes aren't very good. What are you talking about? My jokes are fantastic. (laughs) Hey, I get paid to laugh either way. Wait, you get paid? Check us out at technicallyaconversation.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Shout out to the 11 and a half people that listen to us on Google Podcasts. Wait, you said you were getting paid? 
Digging into this Alan Showery guy, detectives discovered where he lived and, by August 11th of 1977, they gave him a visit at his apartment. In the Unsolved Mysteries episode, the reenactment shows Alan being questioned by police at the station, but other resources claim that the interview took place at his home. Initially, Alan denied that he visited Teresita the night of her death. He admitted that he knew her, but claimed nothing else. However, his story would eventually change. He then confirmed that he did go to Teresita's apartment the night of the murder, but it was to fix her TV, further stating that he left early in the evening after realized he didn't have the proper tools to fix it. Depending on the version of the story you come across regarding Teresita's murder, you may see that Alan was interviewed by police and then eventually his girlfriend was interviewed by police at the station or that when they were interviewing Alan at his home, his girlfriend was also there and was questioned there. Regardless, apparently at some point, police had inquired with Alan's girlfriend if she recently had any new jewelry from Alan. The girlfriend confirmed that she was recently gifted a pearl cocktail ring and a jade pendant by Alan as a gift earlier that year. The jewelry was reviewed by Teresita's relatives, who confirmed the jewelry was, in fact, Teresita's. Detectives confronted Alan about the jewelry being Teresita's, in which Alan would begin to sing like a canary. He indicated that he and Teresita became friends through work, and they also lived in the same area. He reported that Teresita had hired him to do odd jobs on the side from time to time, where she would supposedly pay him generously. Alan disclosed that at the time, he was struggling financially, and Teresita may have known that, because she continued to offer Alan work in order to seemingly help him out. Colleagues of Alan and Teresita would later recall to investigators that Teresita disclosed around the time of her murder that she was expecting Alan at the apartment the evening of her death to fix her television, which is weird that she told some of her colleagues but not Ruth, which is interesting but maybe there's a reason behind that that unfortunately we just don't know. Anyways, Alan noted that he went into the home with the intent of just fixing her TV and when he left her apartment, he then came up with a plan to murder and rob Teresita, as he was under the impression that she was wealthy. Again, he was struggling financially, and maybe he saw this as a way to get ahead. He came back to her apartment that same February night, indicating that he, all of a sudden, had tools to fix her TV. She let him back in, and as she was letting him back in the apartment, she turned her back on him. Alan proceeded to then attack Teresita. From the Unsolved Mysteries episode, quote, She locked the door. He, being Alan, said he quickly moved up behind her and placed a chokehold on her neck, holding it until she stopped struggling. He then dragged her body into the living room where he disrobed her to make it look like it was a rape robbery type of scene. And then he went into the bedroom and obtained the mattress off of her bed, placing it over her body and setting the top of the mattress on fire, end quote. When he didn't find wads of cash laying around Teresita's apartment after murdering her, he would steal items of presumed value he could find in the little cash she had on hand and left her apartment without being seen. Alan would be booked for murder, robbery, and arson, and the charges would go to trial. Despite his confession, Alan would plead not guilty in the trial of Teresita's murder, which was dubbed the voice from beyond the grave trial by the media. Alan recanted his original confession, noted that he agreed to confess because police threatened to arrest him and his pregnant girlfriend based on the Wickedness website. During this time, Remy was either charged with fraud or discredited due to her involvement, 
Resources kind of vary when it came to Jose and Remy at this point, so it's kind of hard to say. According to the Jim Harold podcast, there was a suggestion that Remy and Alan hated one another, and that was the real motive behind this ghost of Teresita business that Remy and Jose had stated. This then manifested the notion that Alan's confession had been forced, but ultimately it was decided that however Remy had come by the information wasn't important. What was important was the evidence and information from Remy that eventually led to Alan as Teresita's murderer. Alan's trial ended on January 9th of 1979 and resulted in a mistrial with a hung jury. When this mistrial occurred, he then went on to plead guilty by February 23rd of 1979. As explained in a Medium article by Mary Holman, some folks allegedly believe that Teresita's ghost had haunted Alan behind bars and forced him to take responsibility of his crimes. Others believed it was Alan's lawyer that had told him to plead guilty for a lesser sentence. Alan would only be sentenced 14 years for the murder of Teresita and for the charges of robbery and arson. He was sent and eventually released from Stateville Penitentiary on parole in 1983 after only serving four years. Rumor has it, after his release, he moved and started a new life in New York City. I hope that for the remainder of his life, he was or still is being haunted by Teresita and his crimes. Having said that, let's wrap up this week's case. The murder of Teresita Bassa is a case that, to this day, has a lot of unanswered questions. How is it possible that Remy knew about Teresita's murder in the detail she did? Is there a possibility that Teresita and Remy were somehow spiritually connected some way despite not being very close when Teresita was alive? Do you think it's possible for someone to solve their own homicide from beyond the grave? Is there a way to still seek justice when you're already dead? Also, what was the real reason behind Alan changing his plea? Was it Teresita haunting him or was it his lawyer? And what is the deal on him only serving four years of a 14-year sentence? I mean, he murdered someone for crying out loud. What's the deal about that? Teresita perhaps solving her own homicide case from beyond the grave is probably one of the most fascinatingly weird things to happen in the American legal field. Teresita isn't the only one to have allegedly done this, but I'll save those cases for another day. But what do you all think? Let me know your thoughts on today's episode topic over on the podcast social media accounts or shoot me an email. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming Weird Distractions or any podcast on a podcast platform that allows you to leave a rating or review, please consider leaving a rating or review because that is the best way and the cheapest way, because it's free, to support your favorite podcasts. Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an episode is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find Weird Distractions over on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and on TikTok. Do you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month? Why not join one of two tiers over on the Weird Distractions Patreon? Each month you get exclusive content, such as bonus episodes and bonus series, such as the Even Weirder series, the Weird Destinations travel posts, plus early and ad-free access to regular feed episodes. 
You can find out which tier is best suited for you by going to www.patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast. Shout out to my current patrons, aka my weird little family members, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Susan, Jennifer, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. I love you and appreciate your support so much. Without you, Weird Distractions may not be what it is today. Lastly, I want to hear from you. I would love to collect your stories of paranormal encounters, too close to home true crime cases, maybe even some weird MLM experiences, or maybe just in general weird things that you've encountered so that I can continue to release the Listener Distraction series. And you might be tuning in for the first time and you might not know what I'm talking about. This is a series that Christy and I originally started where we would read your personal experiences on air. If you have a story you want to share, please email me at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. As well, send me feedback. If there are any corrections needed to be made after today's episode, please let me know. And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye. Bye.